This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. And here he is, Dr. History. Good morning, Zeb. Hello, buddy. <clears throat> You're going to ask me who has called or yeah. contacted me. I, I, I was. I dropped some papers here, and I was picking them up, and I thought to myself, I wonder if he's had any calls or whatever. Some emails, and I want to say hi to David, <laughs> who at uh, one time lived out in Wyoming and... Uh, he says he would wish he'd have been born 150 years ago because he kind of likes that old west, you know. And where does he live now? I don't know. But oh. <laughs> he used to live in Wyoming. Okay. All right. <laughs> and then Colin uh, wrote in, and he has listened to I think he said most all of the podcasts, but he suggested we maybe go back to the very beginning and uh, kind of uh, redo some of the older ones that and add a little more information you know so what would be interesting that. what would be interesting is we'll make a list of the topics uh, that we can go back in time yeah and uh, let's do that I, I thought about going back i started looking at some of the old ones and i thought you know i could uh, add a little more to it and so something we might think about doing yeah and then i had a comment last week a gentleman called and he said don't spoil my lunch you're talking about uh, nudist colony smoking cigarettes <laughs> okay we'll we'll keep it clean so i'm going to talk to you about jim bridger today oh we've talked about him before oh yeah and this is another story and this is a book uh by a guy named Stanley Vestal that I'm taking this story from. Uh, you know, as Bridger got a little older, he was not a man to sit at home uh, in a, uh, indefinitely. And so late in 1854, he turned up at Fort Laramie. I got a question for you first. Okay. Where was he originally from? Ooh, I'd have to go back. He came from back east, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He was just a rookie for mountain man. For some reason, I thought he, you told me one time he was from Ohio. Could be, uh, but he was just a rookie mountain man okay. as a young man, you know. <clears throat> but uh, anyway, at Fort Laramie, he ran into Sir George Gore. Oh, you got to say that with more flair. Sir George Gore. There you go. And now, well able to pay for what he, he wanted? Al Gore's great-great-great-grandfather. No, 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 it's not. Oh. <laughs> Sir George had brought along several scientific friends and a considerable staff to help him hunt bear and buffalo along the Yellowstone River. Uh. Okay. Already he'd made an expedition into the Black Hills and the Rockies. Well, in a small community like Fort Laramie, Bridger and Sir George were bound to meet. Sir George looked forward to the meeting, and Jim had not forgotten when he had a contact with a Sir William Drummond Stewart from England that he had been a guide for 
uh, a few years before. There's a lot of sirs here. They are, and so they're important, you know. Oh, yeah. So Jim found Sir George uh, to be generous, and, of course, the Irish sportsman was delighted to shake the hand of that mighty hunter and scout, Major James Bridger. Now we're going to a major. Major James Bridger. So he set his heart on getting Bridger to act as his guide for the coming year and having an income of, okay, get this, Eb, $200,000 a year. That was a lot of money. Back in 1854. It had to be at least 10 times that now. So, uh, so he's not a man to haggle. He liked to do things in a grand manner, as was proved by his elaborate preparations for the hunt. Now, apparently the two men hit it off from the start. Jim liked this lively uh, little Irishman. Uh, he was actually a good horseman, a crack shot. Sir George was eager to learn what Bridger could teach him about the habits of game animals, Indian customs, and living in the wilds. So Sir George was kind of over-enthusiastic. Uh, he was sure that Bridger, as a guide, uh, the expedition would not only provide exhilarating sport, but improve his health. You know, a lot of these guys, they liked, they thought coming out west would be good for their health. And mm-hmm. for some, it really was. Well, you know, Teddy like, Roosevelt. That's what I was just going to say. Roosevelt, yeah. But Jim was no respecter of persons, and the Irishman's title didn't mean anything to him. I see. Uh, to say, sir, you know, that doesn't yeah. mean anything. Uh, but Jim liked the man. And they got on together uh, really well. So the fall of 1854 was uh, not the season to venture out uh, upon the freezing plains, and Sir George's plan to remain at the fort, Fort Lemery, until spring. So Bridger agreed to stay with him if he would pay for his services starting right then. So even though they weren't leaving, uh, he was going to start paying him right from the start. I see. Even though they were going to spend the winter at Fort Lemery. So during the winter... I had money. Oh, yeah, he had plenty. You know, yeah. that was no question. Just like you. <laughs> yeah. During the winter, he became acquainted with the members of the Irishman's entourage, as you would say, which he found consisted of some 50 men. He had secretaries, wow. stewards, cooks, flymakers, dog tenders, hunters, servants, besides a string of saddle horses and hounds. He brought with him? Yeah, from England, from I- or from Ireland. Yeah. So that's a pretty good crew. Oh, my. So Sir George found life at Fort Laramie pretty interesting, and Jim was kept busy explaining the meaning of what went on. Indians came in to trade. Trappers, trappers dropped in for, uh, you know, to just see what's going on. And in the long winter evenings, uh, or when cold and snow kept the pair indoors, Sir George regularly uh, pumped Bridger about his adventures, which we know Jim Bridger didn't uh, lack for good stories to tell, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So they became really good friends. Now, when the snow was gone, the outfit prepared to put out on the trail to the Yellowstone. Forty men supplied with 112 horses, very, very fine horses, uh, 12 yoke of cattle, 14 dogs, six wagons, and 21 carts. Holy You know, you got to have, uh, you know, a way to get your stuff out to the camp, right? I would. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know. Forget the pack mule. Yeah. So Jim guided the outfit up the Platte River, uh, then headed north to the headwaters of Powder River. Uh, as summer advanced, the party moved slowly down the powder to its mouth, uh, hunting as they went. Leaving the powder, they moved up the Yellowstone to the mouth of the Tongue River, and there on the Tongue, they forded for the winter a few miles uh, above the mouth of the Tongue River. So they built some kind of a uh, place to stay. During the winter. Yeah, probably pretty crude. But anyway, Sir George, of course, was equipped with a perfect arsenal of guns of different calibers adapted to hunting every kind of game. 
so he had all kinds of different, from, you know, uh, low caliber to the big, big guns. But at time, uh, as time went on, George collected wagon loads of trophies to show his friends at home. So that may have been partly why he took so many wagons. He wanted the trophies. Can you imagine the cost of some kind of an expedition like that today? Oh, yeah. But like I say, he was getting 200000 a year, which would be like at least at least $2 million or, oh, more or $20 million yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. But Bridger, like most hunters in the West, including Indians, had always been accustomed to get up while it was still dark and do his hunting early in the morning. He had a hard time getting used to Sir George's lazy ways. The Irishman slept until 10 or 11 in the morning. Hmm. On rising, he bathed ate a leisurely breakfast, and then went out alone or with one or two companions for the day's hunt, and often he stayed out until 10 o'clock at night. But he seldom returned to camp without some trophies. I see. So uh, not a get-up-early kind of guy. But it worked. It worked. You know, he, he got trophies. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But Bridger, like the Indians, hunted for meat or pelts. He never killed game that he didn't have any use for. Yeah. So this kind of rubbed Bridger the wrong way. Yeah, which see. it would, uh, you know, the Native Americans, That's they didn't do that. Yeah. They didn't waste the meat. But Sir George, making the most of this one opportunity to hunt in the West, he slaughtered 40 grizzly bears, oh. 2,500 buffalo, oh. and they don't know how many elk, deer, and antelope, and other small game. You know, that wouldn't kinda, set with me. It kind of sickens me a yeah. little bit, you know? Yeah. But he collected trophies enough to stock half a dozen museums. The Indians who visited his camp, they were pretty resentful at his slaughter, they his should waste. Be. They should be. Yeah, they absolutely were. I mean, you know, they, they thanked the Great Spirit every time they had a And this was kill. in 1854. 54, yeah. See, no wonder they got upset. Sure, yeah. But whenever anyone criticized Sir George, why he found Jim Bridger uh, kind of commended him as a bold, dashing, and successful sportsman, uh, a social champion, and an, an agreeable gentleman. That's not being a sportsman. It's not. It really isn't. I, I think Bridger maybe hedged a little on that, you know? There was a Captain R.B. Marcy who knew Bridger and met Sir George, and he gives this account of what went on when the day's hunt was over. Okay, this is when they're sitting around after the hunt. Quote, His dinner was then ordered to partake of which he generally extended an invitation to my friend Bridger, and after the repast was concluded and a few glasses of wine had been drunk, he was in the habit of reading from some book and eliciting from Bridger his comments thereon. His favorite author was Shakespeare, which Bridger 
reckoned was a little too highfalutin for him. Mm-hmm. Moreover, he remarked that he rather calculated that that thar big Dutchman, Mr. Fullstuff, was a little <laughs> bit too fond of lager beer and suggested that probably it might have been better for the old man if he had imbibed the same amount of alcohol in the more condensed medium of good old bourbon whiskey. There you go. Now, can you imagine Bridger sitting there listening to Shakespeare? No, I can't imagine you or I sitting listening to well, Shakespeare. Come on, Zeb. We're, we're tasteful people. Oh, we're cultured. Yes, we're cultured yes. people. You know. So it's anyway, like the sign on my door. Howdy! Yeah, now get. Now, yes. <laughs> so you know there was good grazing at the mouth of the tongue, and there he and Jim and a few others camped all winter with the horses and the hounds, uh, where they could live outdoors and find game pretty easily around this somewhat of a fort. One member of the party died during the winter. Otherwise, the expedition was a complete success. And we don't know how he died. Did they take a doctor with them? They, he didn't say he did. Oh. Among the people he took. So oh. so now it's uh, in the spring of 1856. Uh, Sir George left his happy hunting grounds. He crossed over to a place called Wolf Mountain, looking for a big camp of Crow Indians. And in their camp, Sir George feasted uh, in the teepees of the chiefs. They, so they were friendly at that point. Okay. At that point. At that point. And apparently he liked the Indians uh, well enough. Um, he didn't care for the mountain men that had Indian wives, though. He he didn't think that was right for some reason. Hmm. So they returned to Tongue River. Sir George and Bridger floated down the Yellowstone to its mouth and to Fort Union. Now, Fort Union was then the largest trading post in the West. Now, whereabouts was that, really, oh, as Fort of today? Union. Um you know, I'm not sure what town that would be closest to. It's on the, you know, on the Missouri, yeah. but I'm not, I'm, yeah. I'm not exactly sure. But it belonged to the American Fur Company, and Major Colbertson was in charge. And Sir George uh, ordered two Mackinac's, uh boats, you know, to be built in which to go down to St. Louis to haul all of his stuff. Well, he bargained with the Major trying to sell the livestock and the wagons because he didn't need them anymore. Well... The Mackinac boats were finished, and the time came for settlement, and there was a little bit of a disagreement over the terms of the sale. Hmm. You see, Sir George thought Culberson was trying to, as they put it, skin him. I see. Take advantage of I him. I see. Um, Culberson may have thought that Sir George had no choice, but the Irishman soon found that he would not be imposed upon. You see... Uh, Sir George thought that Culberson should buy his wagons, his animals, stuff that he didn't need anymore. Yeah. Uh, Culberson didn't think so. Yeah. So Sir George uh, put all his wagons and all supplies that he didn't need anymore in a big pile. Oh, no. Right in front of the gateway of the fort. Oh, no. And set it all on fire. Really? Yeah. He was going to show Culberson that he couldn't force him to, to do anything. So all this gear, which... Could have been very helpful for oh, other people smokes. coming through, you know. Anyway. And he burned it? He burned it all. So with everything reduced to ashes, uh, Sir George remembered that there were iron parts in the wagons, you know, the the bolts and the nuts and the yeah. stuff like that. So Sir George uh, didn't want anybody to profit from that, so he ordered all the irons raked from the ashes and then thrown into the Missouri River. Uh, uh, now... I would call him not a good guy at that point. You think? Yeah, and he was unwilling to shoot his horses and cattle, 
and he did do one good thing. He gave them to the the Native Americans that were around the fort. So the Indians got the the cattle and the horses. Oh, so they did. That was one good thing. Okay. You know. So uh, anyway, they uh, made some flat boats because uh, they didn't get the Mackinac boats that they wanted, and they uh, floated away down to Fort Berthold, uh, which is. Um, I'm looking at a map here, and it's near Fort Pierre. Okay. Uh, there's the Cheyenne River that comes in, and then the Missouri and Fort Pierre. Anyway, so once uh, George, Sir George was established in Berthold, uh, Bridger's services were no longer needed, and the two men parted, and Jim got into a dugout canoe and paddled down the Missouri River to Kansas City and his family. Really? That so, was that? That was, yeah, that was pretty much can, the end of it. Can you yeah. imagine, whatever happened to old Sir, whatever his name was? Um, we don't know. That was kind of the end of it. Uh, How did he get out of there? Uh, I'm assuming he just got on boats and uh, floated down to probably New Orleans and caught a ship back to England. And probably burned, uh, gee, I wouldn't have any idea what those wagons and everything were yeah. worth. Yeah, and and all the... The cooking gear, the pots, the pans, I mean, all that stuff, you know. Now, if it could be verified to find all those bolts and everything else in the river. Yeah, if we knew exactly where he, uh, they can. But, yeah. you know, Bridger reached home, and he probably had a sack full of dollars. Um, uh, so a know. trip like that made Bridger fairly wealthy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it did. I mean, he was, it had to, I mean, with this guy, money was no object, you know. So we're talking about literally almost 20 years later, then all heck broke loose with Custer's Last Stand and everything else. Yeah. In that same area. Yes. So you asked about Jim Bridger. He was born in 1804. So, you know, he was 50 years old yeah. when he won. Uh, but yeah, his father had a tavern uh, in the town of Richmond, Virginia. Um, he was a surveyor. Uh, when Bridger was eight years old, the family headed west. Uh, and this was a great experience for Jim. Uh, and he had some pretty good training. Uh, they landed not far from St. Louis, uh, which at that time had a, in ha- about 2,000 people. Uh, but Jim was about age 14. Uh, his mother died. And uh, anyway, his brother and his father, uh, uh, you know, they were basically they left. Yeah. So Bridger and his little sister were left as orphans. Wait a minute, they left the little sister? And, and Jim, yeah. How could a family do that? Well, the the brother and the father, I guess, decided, uh, well, wait a minute, let me, let me uh, wow. back up. No, I'm sorry, the, the brother and the father died, I'm sorry. Oh, I, I thought okay. they left. All right. So now the little sister and Jim were left, and they were raised by an aunt. Okay. Um, Boy, that so. doesn't turn out well most of the yeah. time. But yeah. Jim, you know, he uh, could raise corn and shoot game uh, enough to feed the the family. And he went out west and stayed there, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, he got a job running a flatboat on the Mississippi, ferrying people across the Mississippi. Uh, hmm. Anyway, uh, I'm just kind of going through some of his early life. He actually apprenticed uh, to a blacksmith for a while. Really? But uh, in St. Louis, but. You know that's not that's not him. I mean, he's not just going to stay. He had to be out in the wild. He west. had to be going. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, as you know, there were hundreds of people going through, headed west, and he would see them heading west. And 
you know, that just sounded like a good place to go. I'm still interested in where old Sir George, or whatever his title was, got all of his money. Well, you know, back in Great Britain, if you were titled like a lord or a sir or a... Or like Prince Harry and uh, yeah, Princess you, Meghan. You, and, yeah, if you were uh, yeah, yeah. of those, uh, you had some kind of a yearly... Uh, income that just came in automatically. Just for somehow. being titled. Yeah, well, they yeah. usually had these big, huge estates. Is that how you made all your money, as yes, being titled I, Dr. You, History? No, no, you didn't know. I'm Sir Dr. I'm, History. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. I, I've never mentioned that. Zeb, just I stand corrected. I was a, wondering why these two guys with bald heads rolled out that red carpet yeah, well, on the floor kind of every a, time. I'm kind of a humble guy. Humble, yeah. yeah that's yeah. one way to put it. Yeah. So, <laughs> remember, uh, Jim Bridger was also the one who uh, was with... Uh, um, uh, who's the guy that the, the bear mauled? Um, oh, 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 oh! They made the movie out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Oh my goodness sakes! We got to. I'll think of it after we get. When off you the, drive down the road, it'll hit you three it, miles it, away. And yeah, Jim and uh, the other guy left him. Left you him know, to, die. to die. Yeah. 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 So mountain men were of a very short time and a very short period in history. But they were some tough dudes. Hugh, Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass. Hugh Glass. That yes. was the guy.